0: To True Crime 365. My name is B, and yes, it has been a very long, extended hiatus, but I am glad to be back and recording for True Crime 365. Uh, If anyone follows me on my Instagram, you will see that I've been posting on True Crime 365.com, but now it is time for the podcast to finally come back from the dead. Um, And obviously, I apologize if anyone was um, worried about me or the state of the podcast. I Simply got overloaded with a lot of work and kind of forgot and then felt like it was a bit too late. But we're back, we're recording, and today we're going to be talking about Notorious Lady Killers from Down Under. Now, if you can't already tell from my accent, I'm from Australia and... Well, we have some pretty gruesome murders, but we have some pretty gruesome ladies. So obviously I've covered uh, Catherine Knight previously and she was uh, described as Australia's Hannah Lecter um, for cooking and then trying to serve up her de facto partner to his kids. Um, But... Obviously, I've covered her before, so you can go and check out that podcast. But for this one, we're going to be talking about, first and foremost, Martha Needle, a.k.a. the Black Widow of Richmond. And um, even just today, I was at the Adelaide Jail, and there was a book that someone had just written about her um, called The Art of Poisoning. So that gives you a bit of an indication. So Martha was born, Martha Charles, on uh, April 9th, 1863, near Morgan, South Australia, her father died when she was young, and her mother remarried and had two more children. As they were a poor family, the fam- uh, the five of them shared a two-bedroom home in North Adelaide, which is in the city that I live in. And her- Martha's mother apparently beat her regularly, and her stepfather, uh, Daniel Foreign, abused her at the age of 13, so she got the fuck out of there and found work as a housekeeper. In 1882, she married Henry Needle, and she was 18 at the time. They had three children: so Mabel, Elsie, and May. And this was before 1885. So within three years, they had three kids, hands full. Um, so in nineteen eighty five the sorry, nineteen in 1885, they moved to Richmond, a suburb of Melbourne. Um, the move did nothing to help the tumultuous relationship. Henry was a jealous man who often beat Martha and it was con- because Martha was like considered hot for like the time, I guess she's not ugly, but you know, she's, she's, um, she's no supermodel, but, uh, she was considered, you know, attractive by the local men. Um, and Henry was like, not attractive at all. And he got a bit, l- bit jealous about that. So, um, it's really hard to tell whether Martha actually had battered women's syndrome, which I'm still not sure if that's actually like a thing, um, like medically, but you know, obviously you can get really pissed off with someone and murder them. Um, but I can't imagine that the shitty relationship and beating by every man that she ever met helped her situation too much. So on February 13th, 1885, the first child, Mabel, uh, passed away. She was sick for a very short time and it took the family by shock. She was um, she was insured, her life was insured for £100, um, which is about $46,000 in today's money. Then Henry died. So first of all, baby number one died and then Henry died on October 4th, 1889 and he died from a quote-unquote mysterious illness. Then the next year, Elsie died and then May. So doctors were pretty much very upset for this beautiful family to be taken away all at once. And they kind of just chalked it down to like mysterious illnesses. Like it's the 1800s, you know, this shit happens. Um, But Martha collected insurances on each death and spent the majority of the cash on an elaborate grave for the family. So bit odd. So in 1893, Martha began chatting up a bloke by the name of Otto Junkin, which is a sexy name, by the way, Um, a brother of a friend named Louis from Adelaide. So Martha was subletting an apartment attached to Otto's business and Louis and his older brother Herman, so we've got Otto, Louis and Herman Junkin, or I'm going to say Junkin, possibly. Um, So they... They were all running this, um, satellite business in Melbourne and they were not exactly a massive support of, um, supporters of the union between Otto and Martha. So Louis and Herman, not keen on it. Um, so they were a bit sus of her because her entire family had died within five years. So I guess that's fair enough. So they pretty much were trying to convince him to not, uh, get engaged to this chick. And um, then Louis died of suspected typhoid in 1894 and Herman had to make the trip back to Adelaide to arrange all the shit for the family. And um, Martha offered to make him some lunch for the trip, but not long after eating the meal, Herman became really, really sick. So violent, painful cramps took hold of his body almost suddenly. He seemed to recover, but then he came ill again after breakfast the next day. After two days, Herman was back to full health, only to be struck once again by the painful cramps, this time after eating yet another lunch prepared by Martha. And um, so Herman was already sus of this woman, but now he was hella sus, I would say, in my scientific terms. So he went to a doctor who tested, um, who sent off the food to be tested, and it came back with high... Oh, that's not right. He tested Herman's vomit and sent it off... Um, To a lab To see what it had in it Not the food, his vomit And it had high levels Of arsenic in it, which means that Herman had been poisoned so the doctor informed police of his discovery and they decided that they would get Herman to catch Martha in the act. So Herman asked Martha to fix him some lunch. And when Martha served him a lovely cup of tea, he literally blew a whistle to indicate for uh, the police to come in and test the food and arrest it. Um. So the tea was found to have enough arsenic in it to kill five people. Martha was arrested for attempted murder and the body of Bodies of each of her deceased family members were exhumed. The body of Lewis Junkin slash was also exhumed and tested for arsenic. And each body contained fatal levels of the poison. Martha was charged with murder. She pleads not guilty, but was found hella guilty and sentenced to death. So at 8 a.m. on October 22, 1894, she was hanged at Melbourne Jail, making her one of, the, one of only four women to face death at the historic prison. Her last words were, I have nothing to say. So that is the story of the Black Widow of Richmond, Martha Needle. Our second murderess on the list today is a woman by the name of Kathleen Megan Folbig. So this is one of those cases that there is a lot of grey area. um, So you can kind of form your own opinion, but when I first read as like about um, Kathleen and the murders that she committed. I was like, fuck, she's a piece of work. But after really looking into it, I'm like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure she she's responsible for – we'll get into it. Anyway, <coughs> Kathleen's life didn't start off great. Um, she was born on June 14, 1967 in New South Wales, Australia, Two years later, on January 8, 1969, her biological father, Thomas John Britton, murdered her mother by stabbing her 24 times. He was arrested the day after, and Kathleen was made a ward of the state and placed into a foster care home. So She remained in that home until July 18, 1970, when she was brought to Bildura, Bildura's children's home uh, in September of the same year. So Kathleen was so in September of the same year, Kathleen was placed into yet another foster home, under the care of Mr. and Mrs. Marlborough. The couple expressed um, a great interest in adopting Kathleen, but it has been said that the Marlboroughs treated her as a slave and kept her isolated from her friends. Kathleen remained in their care, leaving school at fifteen and marrying Craig Gibson Folbig in 1987. So the couple set up home in Mayfield, New South Wales in 1987. And in, on February the 1st, uh, 1989, they had the first child, Caleb Gibson-Folbig. So Caleb was diagnosed with laryngomalchia, which is like a breathing condition um, from something to do with the soft palate. I'm not entirely sure, but it, it's like a mild, he had a mild case of it. It was a breathing condition. He was expected to outgrow it. But on the 20th of February, Kathleen put Caleb to bed. He was restless all night. Um, and then at 2 a.m., Kathleen went in to check on the baby and he was dead. So the death was ruled to be caused by cot death, and um, which is known in Australia as SIDS, so Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. So the second baby, Patrick Allen Folbig, was welcomed into the world June 3rd, 1990. Craig took three months off work to help take care of his wife and their new child. And on October 18, Craig woke to the sound of his wife screaming her guts out. Now, she had their baby's room were like conjoined um, to the like master bedroom. So it was like kind of like there was a rule between it, but it was like it was two rooms in one. Um, so he rushed out of bed to find Kathleen standing at the side of the baby's cot. uh, Craig attempted CPR on the baby as they waited for the ambulance to arrive. Um, but after being rushed to hospital, Patrick was diagnosed with epilepsy and cortical blindness. On February 13, uh, 1991, Kathleen called her husband at work, screaming down the phone that it happened again. And Patrick's death was caused by acute fixating event resulting from an epileptic fit. So the epilepsy um, obviously caused him to have this fit and um, that is the, the cause of death for that one is what like I 100% believe that that is the way that baby died. Kathleen and Craig decided that they would move to Thornton, New South Wales in the months following Patrick's death. And on October 14, 1992, they had their third child, Sarah Kathleen Folbig. Not much is said about Sarah because she died on the 29th of August, 1993. So three years later, they moved once again to Singleton, New South Wales, and on August 7, 1997, Laura Elizabeth Folbig was born. So this is the fourth child of of this couple. Again, not much information is on Laura's life because, surprise, she died as an infant on the 27th of February, 1999. If Laura had lived, she would be my age. So she would be one month older than me. So after the fourth death, grieving Craig found Kathleen's personal diary and the pages depicted a macabre situation. Kathleen had been responsible for the deaths of her children. The uh, the diaries mentioned flashes of rage, resentment and hatred towards her children and the most damning statement um, from her entries came after the birth of Laura. She said, I feel like the worst mother on this earth, scared that she will leave me now, like Sarah did. I know I was a bit short-tempered and um, cruel and cruel sometimes to her, and she left with a bit of help. The trial of Kathleen Fowlbeak lasted seven weeks. There was no physical evidence to link Kathleen to the murders, and the entries in the diaries were chalked up to a grieving mother's guilt by the defence, which I guess makes sense, because if you've seen any parents who have lost someone, like lost a child, they definitely blame themselves, um, but also four children dying is again a little bit sus um ambulance and hospital staff claim that there was nothing unusual about kathleen's behavior when they treated her dying children kathleen continued uh continued to stick by her belief that her children had died of natural causes as sids can run in families it's not a crazy thing to think that four children might have died from cot death it's unusual but it it does happen But on May 21st, 2003, Kathleen was found guilty of three counts of murder, one count of manslaughter and one count of a maliciously inflicting grievous bodily harm and was sentenced to 40 years with a non-parole period of 30 years. This was later adjusted to 30 years with a non-parole period of 25 years. Now, last year on August 22, a judicial inquiry was launched in regards to Folbig's case um, in response to a petition from her supporters. The inquiry is still in progress and Folbig will remain in custody until it's completed. But that is expected to be finished around November this year. So I will keep you updated and see what happens with the case of Kathleen Folbig. Okay, this is the last notorious lady killer from Down Under. And the name is going to give it away. So you won't be as shocked. This is the story of Tracy Avril Wigginton, a.k.a. the lesbian vampire killer. It's like a bad movie. All right, let's get into it. So Tracy Avril Wigginton was born in 1965. I don't have an exact birthday. Uh, Not much is said about her life until the night that she, Lisa, bear with me, Lisa Pachinsky. Kim Jervis and Tracy War, all aged 23 and 24, crossed paths with a 47-year-old council worker by the name of Edward Baldock. So long before Twilight took over the psyche of young women of the world, Tracy Wigginton claimed she was a vampire. She drank animal blood and was like hella goth. Um, She told police later that she lived purely on blood bought from the butcher, and her girlfriend, Lisa Pachinski would on occasion slit a wrist for tracy to drink from that's true love in the months leading up to the murder she told the other women that she wanted to murder a man in order to feed from him turns out that edward baldock was the unlucky meal for tracy after a night drinking with his mates at a local pub on october 20th 1989 he was heading home for the night so the women were driving around being 23, 24-year-old vampires and just lurking. Um, so they drove up to him and he was pretty fucked. They convinced him to get into the car and then they drove up to the banks of the Brisbane River and parked the car. Then Tracy got out and lured him out of the car with a promise of sexual favors. Um, but instead of receiving a good time... Tracy attacked him with a hunting knife, stabbing him to the point of near decapitation. It is believed that Tracy then uh, proceeded to drink his blood, although Tracy herself later calls bullshit on that, and then the police called bullshit on her because she literally said that she was a vampire. So the women left the body on the banks where it was discovered by locals the next day. Here's where it gets stupid. In Edward's shoe, there was a cash card bearing the name Tracy Wigginton, which led the police straight to the group all four women were charged and tracy was the only one who pleaded guilty so tracy and lisa were charged with murder and sentenced to life imprisonment kim jervis was uh, charged with manslaughter and tracy wall was cleared of involvement after her defense argued that she tried to stop jervis from taking part in the in the murder And in 2012, on January 11th, after the first failed parole bid and 22 years in prison, Tracy Wigginton was released on parole. She can't make any contact with her co-accused and she can't sell her story for profit. Bummer, because it would have made a really good movie. And that is the story of the lesbian vampire killer. So out of the three slash four women, I guess, um, Catherine Knight is probably the most gruesome with her cannibalism, but there are so many women from Australia um, who just like to kill people, you know, it gets boring here sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't always get all the bands coming here, you know, it takes a couple days for the movies to come out. Murder seems to be a thing, but now I'm just going to f- flip for the last section of this, I wrote an article um, last week about a woman who was murdered in Cairns in Australia. Um, Her name is Toya Cordingly and her murder is still unsolved. So I'm going to briefly go over this. So if anyone listening knows anything about the death of Toya or um, anyone who could be responsible, please contact Crime Stoppers in Australia. So... I will really go briefly on this. <clears throat> so on October 22, 2018, the body of Toya Cordingly was found on the dunes of Wangetti Beach by her father. Um, her mother had found her larger than average uh, dog, Jersey, which is a Great Dane, German Shepherd and Mastiff mix the night before. So pretty much um, Toya had gone... To the markets on Sunday, the twenty first of October, and then she made her way home, got her dog, which was huge, by the way, um, and then she took the dog for a walk along Wangetty Beach around two thirty p.m. and is like halfway between Cairns and Port Douglas, so in broad daylight she went missing. She was found, she was found on um in the dunes with visible and violent injuries and. Their police, obviously, because it is an ongoing investigation, have not really released much in regards to, um, to like, the state of the body. But from sounds of it, it was a sexual um, – there was a sexual assault as well as um, violent beating. Um. Months before Toya went missing, she had posted a screenshot of a tweet um, after another woman in Australia had been murdered. She said, I can only imagine the rage and fear women feel to see women die doing everyday mundane things like walking home like they do, only to then be told it's their fault and that they need to be careful. Stop blaming women and make men the issue. And it's really hard to um to swallow the fact that someone who's so aware of the world that she lived in would become a victim of those exact crimes. But anyway, so she was found on Wangeti Beach and it it's not a popular spot. You would notice another person on the beach with you. Um, police mentioned early on that there had been reports of naked men causing trouble and that there was a history of vagrants, hard drug use and sexual deviancy on the shores of Wangeti. All these things considered, how is it that a girl with an unusually large dog can be murdered on the beach, buried in the sand, and no one sees the thing? So, the investigation so far is that police have appealed to local women who've been harassed by men in the area in the last two years. They've also um, asked for dashcam footage Um, from cars that were in the area on the day of Toya's disappearance and subsequent murder. They haven't released much in regards to the nature of the murder, but we know it was violent and that Toya fought back. There were violent and visible injuries on her body. We also know that it was potentially sexually motivated, so they are looking for a male attacker. Um, It appears to be a crime of opportunity with Toya having no known enemies or strange relationships. She was 24 years old. Um, there were reports of a suspect who had fled to India, but the police have condemned the reports saying that they are potentially damaging to the person in question and the investigation itself. So where do we go from here? So there are videos and multiple photos of Toya, um, available on the internet. So if you or anyone you know lives in Cairns or in Queensland, like Australia has, you know, we're a big country, but... We know everyone really knows everyone. So if there is someone that you know uh, or yourself that lives in that area, um, please make sure to share any of the articles that um, I've posted on True Crime 365 or just Google toy accordingly um, and see what she looks like and see if you recognize her, if you saw anything weird. Um, Many people have already come forward with information, but no main suspects have been named yet. But I hate that there is no end to this. I hate that I have nothing to give you but a set of information um, and a phone number, but there is still hope that we can find the person who did this to Toya. So please let's keep an eye out and just, um, you know, obviously everyone has missing people in their area. Toya is not, you know, missing people and unsolved murders. Toya is not any different or any more or less special than those other people, but this is... um you know, every little thing can help. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I will be back next week with a new article, um, which is actually, it's quite gruesome. So I'm writing at the moment. Um, so I will post that and then do a podcast on Wednesday. So thank you guys so much and I'll see you next week. Bye.